This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And I'll read it and then you all can take your seats. Now the full number of them picking up in verse 32, Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Anybody need grace right now? I don't need you to be super spiritual right now. Anybody need grace in your life right now? Scripture says when they came together, the apostles were operating out of great power. They were giving their testimony. They were giving their praise about the faithfulness and the power of God in their lives. And they were, testi- they were testifying about the resurrection. They were testifying to the fact, as Peter said in Acts chapter 2, that death could not hold our Savior down. So whatever situation that you're dealing with, it can't hold you down either. And great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. They ain't had no problem giving. And it was distributed to each as any had need. I want to speak today simply from the title of We Are One. We Are One. I'm going to pray and then you may take your seats. Father in heaven, I thank you for this moment that we have together to glorify and magnify your holy and beautiful name. And that we would do like the apostles did in this verse, that we would continue giving our testimony about your resurrection power in our lives. And we're asking you, Lord God, to resurrect those who have yet to come to know you. God, we thank you. And I ask that you decrease me and show yourself mighty and strong here in this moment through me. Because we all need you, Jesus. We all need to be refreshed again to be renewed again to be revived again in your love in this moment to you be all the honor and glory in christ's name i pray amen amen so today i hope that that out of this we'll be able to see what it looks like truly when the people of god come together when they're united by the spirit of god and they are equipped with the word of god And they're able to tap into the true power that I believe the Spirit of God wants us to operate out of. And that power gives us a power to be one. And it should not be a power that's just specific to our individual churches. This should be a power that is a collective benefit for us all. And so you'll hear me say a lot of times that we we do it better when we do it together. So this is not a resurrection power that we need to keep in keystone only. This is not a resurrection power that we need to keep in rebuild only. This is a power that we need to lock arms in the spirit together to advance his kingdom together. Amen. So this is our goal. And I know many of my rebuild family here as I begin to minister this word know that I'm an arts guy. You know, I love the art of music. I love the art of acting. I love the culinary arts, 
and I also love the art of athletics. And so I know many of them, or to many of you, it seems far-fetched, and I know somebody to my right, I'm not going to say any names, but when I get into this uh, particular illustration, she's going to be like, oh, Lord, not another whatever reference, but, uh, but it's in these arts that God awakens my soul to his love, whether that's watching a, a TV series, whether that's a good uh, a meal that I'm eating, whether that is some music I'm listening to, this God knows how to get my attention and awake my soul to his love. And so this is a moment where we are going to be awakened again to the love of Jesus. Is everybody willing to take this journey with me today? So these were also things that I turned to when the spirit of rejection or depression tried to overtake me. These were things I would turn to when that particular spirit would try to arrest me and hold me captive. And so when I minister and I talk about things where I've seen in movies, how God has revealed his love to me in movies or TV shows or musical things like that. These are actual things that the Lord uses that I continue to use and helps me to defeat the enemy's advances in my life. So I don't want you to just hear this as just some old blanket type of message. I want you to hear this as a weapon of your warfare. That's my boy. So if I, all I need is one. I mean, so with that in mind, here we go. There's a movie that came out a number of years ago called Drumline. Any, anybody familiar with Drumline? There we go. So Drumline, this, mu this movie focused on a very talented percussionist, right? And his gift brought him to this place, this university, where he was able to get his, not only his education, but he was brought into a community of love and care that he'd never experienced before. And so the uh, uh, band director, his name was Dr. Lee, and as this opened up, he was addressing the team about the, the essence of teamwork and what it meant. And so he then asked the question, uh, these team, few of them come in there late. And so he asked one of them pretty much, who is your accountability partner? Who is the one that's keeping you focused on your task and your responsibilities? And so he pointed out the young man, the very gifted young man. He said, it's Devin, Devin Miles, sir. So he went over there, he talked to Devin. He said, hey, you know, Devin, how you doing? Good, Mr. Lee, I'm doing all right. So he asked Devin, he said, okay, who, who's your roommate? Told him who his roommate was. He said, okay, well, why is he late? Devin said, well, I ain't his mama. Now, what's interesting about that is, I know I'm giving a story about a movie, but what's interesting about that, ain't that how we do with our brothers and sisters in Christ? I ain't your mom. I ain't their pastor. I ain't supposed to keep my hand on them, but you're just going to let them walk in sin and just go on about their business, right? You're just going to let them keep carrying on with what they're supposed to do, and we act like as if God hadn't united us to him and to each other. I'm still talking about we being one. So we got to learn how to be accountable to one another. We got to learn how to care for each other's souls, Right? So that's what ends up happening. He said, hey, man, I ain't the main mama. So he said, okay. Well, he turned to the section leaders. And that's what the Lord does because judgment starts with the house of God. So he comes to the leaders, right? And he says, okay, section leaders, what is our concept? And they answered, they said, one band, one sound. When one is late, we're all late. When one sound bad, we all sound bad. I just want you to pause there for a moment and examine your church. If the world can grab a hold of a biblical concept and bring value to it, what's wrong with us? So here we go. 
So in like manner, I hope today to communicate to you through God's word of what we are in the body of Christ. We should be one church with one heavenly sound, a church that sounds and looks like the one from which it bears its name. Amen. Amen. Is that all right? <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk up through uh, Acts chapter one. We're going to get up to chapter four. So here's what you do. Anybody like to exercise? Anybody trying to lose weight in the season? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. I'm trying to do it yourself. OK, there's a few people. I like that. That means you're going to get your victory. Everybody ready? Pride ain't going to have you lose no weight. I'm going to tell you that right now. Pride never helped anybody lose weight. Amen. There you go. So here we go. So we're going to do a uh, spiritual fitness lap. So think of this like Duke Wall. Has anybody walked around Duke Wall before? So there's a starting point that you start. It's a big old huge wall. It's a beautiful walk. If you've never been there, I suggest you try it. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a spiritual fitness lap. And we need to quickly walk through chapters one through three. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead on and set your spiritual Fitbits. All right? Here we go. Why are y'all trying to? This is interactive time. This is interactive time. Why y'all doing me like Josh? Why are they doing me like that, man? This is, there we go. Interactive. Set your spiritual Fitbits. Are you ready? Everybody know you got to at least get 10,000 steps, right, Bria? 10,000 steps. Ready, set, go. Here we go. The book of Acts we see is the unhindered movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how the Holy Spirit accomplishes that through his servants individually and through his church corporately. Jesus had provided them a final instruction before ascending back into heaven, and that instruction was to go to the upper room and wait for the promise of the Father. And so in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit baptizes the believers in the upper room. What was the promise of the Father? The promise of the Father, if you go back to Luke chapter 24, the promise of the Father is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I have to go. Sometimes we look at promises in the wrong light. There was a beautiful promise that the Lord gave us, and in that promise, he says, I'm not going to leave you or forsake you. I'm going to lead you to comfort. I'm going to lead you to one that's going to guide you into all truth. In other words, I'm going to make sure you don't be a knucklehead. Because we don't like to talk about that. We don't like to talk about who we are, but we look at the Bible and we see that we don't have, we don't have it all together. And so we need the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. Watch this, as he says in John, he leads and guide us into all truth, right? So he is light. So he brings light within us and on us. So Acts chapter one, verse four, he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So then we move on down to that famous verse that many of us know and have come to love. But verse eight, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, you will receive power that you can be a witness here in Durham. You can be a witness here in Raleigh and Cary. You can go out to Asheboro, Asheville. You can take it over to Tennessee, New York, wherever the Lord send you. You got Holy Ghost power. And that power is to be a witness of him. So one way is to know if you got that power and you'll be a witness to him, check your character. If your character ain't matching up with his cause and his commission, then you're not operating in the spirit and the power of God. Okay, 
All right, I'm sorry. Maybe I came out too aggressive in the first part. Should have just stayed back. So the first thing to note from this is the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father, and he has come to give us witnessing power. He's not just a spirit, y'all. Not just something come upon us to give us a little shakes for a minute, make us feel good or feel different, or feel awkward, feel spooky, whatever adjective you want to put in that statement. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. And watch this. We too often neglect him. It's God, the father, God, the son and then God, the Bible. We act as if the Holy Spirit is not mentioned here. OK. All right. So he gives us the ability in his divine power to be Christ like here in the earth in order to draw others to himself. Not for us to get glory, but for him to get glory. So now we're moving on to chapter two. Chapter two begins with the day of Pentecost. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, Pentecost was just the day when the Holy Spirit came upon the church. Right. So maybe today we can have a day of Pentecost. OK, y'all don't. Sorry, Josh. I didn't mean it. Sorry, my brother. I'm just reading scripture. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What were they doing? They were. See, I told y'all this was going to be interactive, right? Okay. They were. They were. What? What were they doing together? They were all together where they were in one place, right? Imagine the power that can reside out of out of uh, Southwest Elementary when Keystone descends in this place. Imagine the, the, the families that get restored. Imagine the souls that will get saved. Imagine the children that will get fed. Imagine the marriages that will be reconciled. Imagine all of the things that can take place when Keystone comes together in Southwest Elementary School with Holy Ghost power. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, verse 2, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. One church, one heavenly sound. There's your sound if you thought I was playing when I said it earlier. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. The sound should be a heavenly sound. They should, people should know when, when, when believers step up in the room, there should be a heavenly sound. There should be a theme music. <laughs> hey. You should walk in there with your own theme music when you walk up in there and they should know the presence of the God is about to, the presence of God about to step up in the room. I'm bad. Put old LL Cool J on it. You want to walk up there because you walk with Holy Ghost. I'm bad. Can't nobody stop my God. Amen. Amen. Everybody need a victory song, don't you? Everybody got a go-to song that you go to when you need encouragement, when you need to be uplifted, right? When you need something to stir your soul up and get your chest, put some air in your chest and pump it out a little bit. Everybody needs a victory song. And sometimes you got to go to the Psalms and get your victory song and let the, the glory of the Lord rise up within you and begin to sing his praises. So when I sung a little earlier, come on, bless the Lord with me, it was more for me and not for you. Because I needed a victory song in this moment. I need to glorify and honor God. And I knew in the state where I was, my physical, mental, and emotional state right now, I needed to get out of myself and get into God. So there was a heavenly sound, verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Oh, uh, won't touch there. Uh, nope, won't touch that. Not going to do it, baby. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Just so you know, right here in this moment, what ended up happening was the fire descended on them. They started to speak 
And then they, well, so then they started to speak this way. Everybody was starting to speak a different uh, uh, ethnic tongue, if you will. So say, for example, if I'm English and you're Russian, my sister, what ended up happening was that when the Spirit of God came in, I started to speak Russian. And you started to be able to hear that, watch this, what I was speaking was glorifying God. And it was like, how in the world is this man? I know he ain't from my hometown. I ain't never seen him in any of my schools. And this joker here is speaking my language. And what he's saying is, God is good. And beside him, there is no other savior. And so watch this. What God was showing you that even in our differences, he has the power to make us one. So the second thing to know here is the enemy after this and the Holy Spirit was doing his work and then watch that. Immediately after that, the enemy start running their mouth. Mockers start talking. And so the second thing to know here is this. The enemy will always try to dispute a move of God. We end up having to say, listen, them folk crazy. They drunk. And Peter rose up to preach and he said, no, nah, they ain't drunk. It's just nine o'clock in the morning. But actually, that's a compliment. We see that as something negative. We should see that as a compliment. We should be so full of the Spirit when we come in here and worship God that all the folks that ain't never seen a love movement like this, they should be like, them folks crazy. Them folks drunk. And yes, I am. I'm crazy for Jesus, and I'm drunk off his Spirit. You need to come get you some. We advertising everything else for somebody to come get. Come get drunk in this love. Forget Beyonce. Come get drunk in the love of Jesus. You talk about everything worldly, but you won't talk about everything wordy. We don't like to be convicted. We don't like to be challenged in the church. Because our resume said we the best thing since Netflix. <laughs> Y'all know how good Netflix is. When you need a good restful day, everybody go to Netflix. All right. So here we go. So Peter preaches the gospel for the first time, and it gets good to him, y'all. Watch, listen to this, listen to this in chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. In other words, God can use the foolish thing to confound the wise. God can use the advances of the enemy. He can turn that thing around and make sure that he gets glorified and souls come into his saving grace. He's just good like that. But here's the other thing I want to point out in verse 42, because we're going to see this a little bit later on when we get to our main text. And they devoted themselves, these are the believers, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is radical, radical living for Jesus. And day by day, attending the temple together. It's tough for us to come to church on Sunday. And this says, scripture says, and day by day, they were attending the temple together and they were breaking bread day by day. Ask somebody to show up to church on Tuesday. 
Ask them to come back on Wednesday. Ask them to come back on Thursday. And you better not ask them to come back again on Sunday. Then. I said, I've been with you all week now. But when you are so overwhelmed by the true grace of God, as Titus says, the grace of God that appeared bringing salvation to all, when you remember what he brought you out of, when you remember what he saved you from, it should be no challenge to get to the house of God and declare that he is good. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We are some privileged, bougie Christians. blame your pastor because he fell in love with me and then we started connecting so that's his fault for grabbing hold of the love of Jesus and then trying to love me with that love so that's on him today but this should be the DNA or the framework of what it looks like to be a Christ-centered church watch this a Christ-centered family and this is, this is what can happen when God's people, his church, is of one mind, one spirit, striving together for the fame and glory of Jesus Christ. And these are some of the key characteristics that we see in the community of believers. Watch, they were devoted to teaching and studying God's word. They were fellowshipping together. They were playing spades. They were out there doing Jenga. They was getting everything together, Cupid shuffling. They was doing all that together. They were breaking bread. They were having cookouts and potlucks and all these good things. They were generous in their giving. They were selling their possessions and distributing to things as anyone had need. Let somebody call you and say, I need $50 to help me get my gas back back on I can go there because I know that I hate when I receive them calls well I mean seriously let's not be honest in the church because we are by nature because of sin we are by nature selfish human beings and if we stay in that state we become selfish destructive human beings so what the word of God does, it comes in to shine light on those dark places in our hearts and then it conforms us more into the image and likeness of Christ and then we look like him and we become very generous in all that we do. Not foolish. There's nothing in here says that you are to be foolish with what God has blessed you with. But it does say we are to be generous. I just want to make sure that clear. All right, here we go. I'm moving on. Chapter three. Y'all still with me? We still good? Y'all still like me? I sure hope so. So here we go. So we're about 7,000 steps in, Worth. We're about 7,000 steps in, all right? Now, chapter 3, now Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray, and they encounter a lame man. Watch this. And by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, this man gets healed. Chapter 3, verse 8. And leaping up, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. The last thing I want you to note as we are on this track and we're coming around the spiritual track, we're coming back to our spotting point. The last thing I want you to know, there is still power in the name of Jesus. And what's even more interesting is there are a lot of lame people, watch this, that are standing at the gates of our churches. There's a lot of lame people that are sitting in the chairs of our churches. 
And we need to start proclaiming more and more of the power that resides in the name of Jesus Christ. So I'm just curious to know if you happen to be lame in this moment, do you still believe you can access the power of God in his name and you can jump up and you can leave and you can praise God and you can give your testimony in that way that God is still a healer. God is still a deliverer. God is still a redeemer. God is still a restorer. God is still a resurrector. Can anybody still testify that my God can do anything but faith? Because that man ain't have nothing and he decided to say listen I but I heard that there is a man who can heal I heard there is a man who can set the captive free and I just want to know do you have what, what do you have that because in order for somebody else to get it you got to know you got it yourself so the question is for us as believers do you have the power that resides in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you have Holy Ghost power that God can use you as an instrument in his redeeming hands that you can go and set somebody else free and they can get their praise on along with you? So, just to make sure the people understood, Peter let them know, hey, this power don't belong to me, but I can tell you where the source, where I get it from. Nor did the glory belong to him. Because they won't gonna sit there and be like, oh, I did this thing. They say, uh-uh, this came straight from God Almighty himself. And so Peter preached the gospel again. He's on fire, just like them tongues that came out. Peter, Peter is on fire and he's preaching every opportunity he gets. And he pointed them away from man and he pointed them right back to who is the true author and perfecter of their faith. And his name is everybody? Okay, that don't sound like power. And his name is everybody? And his name is? Jesus. And his name is? Jesus. Now, why are we stiff saying his name? Where's the joy in the saints? Listen, here's a, here's a real life application to this. Nobody going to care about your Jesus if you don't care about your Jesus. Nobody going to find joy in Jesus if you don't have joy in Jesus. Nobody's going to find healing in Jesus if you haven't tapped into the healing power of Jesus. Nobody's going to have victory in Jesus if you've never experienced victory in Jesus. We have to do a radical change in our communities because traditions have failed us. The word of God says the tradition of man makes the word of God of no effect. And so we sit in our churches and we act like we are owed something by God. I'm sorry, y'all, but it's just too much, too much lostness in the world. It's 170,000 people here in this city and they need to know that Jesus is a redeemer, that he is a savior, that he's a mighty God, that he is their refuge, that he is their rock, that he is their fortress. And in him, they will never be defeated, that they will never lose life, that they can have life more abundantly. No, people who are dealing with, with, with marriages that are dysfunctional, with children that are rebellious, with sickness in their own body, and they need some type of hope to cling to you. They need, to, they need to experience light. But we walk around as if we're in the dark. What are we doing? What type of fellowship are we having with the Spirit of God? 
See? See, now y'all got my grandson rolling with it. See, y'all don't, y'all don't want to participate. They say, and a child will lead the way. That's what happened. It ended up falling on a child. And now a child leading the way into the presence of God because we stiff adults don't want to do it. This is how I talk to my church, too, so don't feel. That's how I talk to them. So I'm just, I'm just passionate. I'm passionate about seeing the presence and power of God show up. I'm passionate about seeing families restored. I'm passionate about seeing people get healed. I'm passionate about seeing these youth serve the Lord in their young days. I'm passionate about seeing depression go under a rock and never come out ever again. I'm tired of hearing too many people that are being depressed and oppressed. I'm tired of seeing people who think that they have no hope, that they're constantly chasing things that produce no value in their life. I'm tired of seeing our people not winning. Because in Christ, the finished work he did on Calvary's cross, in him, we are positioned from victory and for victory. We don't have to, we don't have to ask for it. In him, we already got it. So, verse 16 says in, in chapter 3, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect help, health in the presence of you all. I still believe, I still believe, I'm foolish enough to fit in my faith to believe that there is still power in the name of Jesus. And so now we come to chapter 4, which means we are almost right at our starting point of our spiritual fitness walk today. And you should be well over your 10,000 steps now. So now we're moving on in the overflow. Everybody grad about the overflow? Psalm 23 says, my cup runneth over. So we in the overflow season right now. So I mean, all them extra calories, you can, you can uh, enjoy a good old dessert today, right? Y'all know y'all like dessert. Don't try to play me. It's hot outside too. You're going to have about two ice creams today. I know what's going on. Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, verse 2, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They got upset because we preaching the good news. Now think about this. Anybody who has ever talked about Jesus before, isn't it funny to watch the faces of others around you when you try to tell them about Jesus? They face scrunch up. Pastor Josh and I know this, as soon as you say you're a pastor, people withdraw from you. They figure they're gonna get beat over the head with Jesus, and they're right. <laughs> so I started to trick them, I started to trick them. We went on a trip years ago and I started to trick them. They said, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a love communication specialist. They said, what? Jessalyn, they were like, what is a love communication specialist? What is that? I said, I get to tell people all day, every day about Jesus. Oh, you're a pastor. Yes, I am. And I'm about, I'm about to break it down to you. So now I get them. I trick them every chance I get. I'm a love communication specialist. Oh, what do you do? You talk on phones and you try to, you're a life coach? Well, yes, to a degree. I am that. Verse 3, and they arrested them. They arrested them. All I'm doing is talking good things. And they arrested me. And put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and in the number of the men came about to be 5,000. Same pattern of victory or divine strategy we saw in chapter 2 is now taking place in chapter 4. The gospel is preached, salvation, healing, deliverance, whatever is necessary takes place, and the enemy gets upset. But even in all of that, there are many 
and I mean many, that are still coming to a saving faith and knowledge in Jesus Christ. So they brought forth the rulers, the elders, the high priests, essentially putting them on trial. And Peter stands up and preaches the gospel again. When you so on fire for the Lord, you don't care what life throws your way. Because it's obvious by this time, this is the third time now, it's very obvious by this time, you can't stop my God. And because I'm in him, you can't stop me either. I ain't going to shut up. You, Micah, you'll shut up before I shut up. You'll lose life, watch this, before I lose life. Let that one sink in for a little bit. Let that one sink in for a little bit. So there it is. So here it is. Gospel preaching again. Then verse 8 of that says, Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where your help comes from. That's where your strength comes from. That's where we find life and life more abundantly. It's in the Holy Spirit. And so as believer, the power, we got to understand, the power comes from his promise. He promised us. And he's fulfilling his promise all throughout this particular book of the Bible. I mean, we know uh, for those who've been walking with the Lord, we know he's been doing that from Genesis to Revelation. But right here specifically, the promise is playing itself out. And so the Holy Spirit comes to guide us into all truth. And so we continue on in chapter four. Uh, we pick up in verse 12 through 22. And it says, and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Not can be saved. There's a difference. Not can be saved. Oh, you can be saved by the name. But there may be some other thing that you're going to be saved. It says, no, there's no other name by which man must be saved. There is no other way. So in other words, if you've been trying to gain victory and you've been trying to get out of a situation and it has not been attached to the power of God, you ain't going to be saved. If you've been trying to be your own God and live your own way and live your own life and you've been trying to do that on your own terms, by your own rules, by your own regulations, all this type of stuff, there is no salvation found in that. I just have to tell you the truth in love. There is no salvation, in it, but there is a name. There is a name and there is power that flows from Emmanuel's veins. There is a beautiful name by which you can be saved. And so verse 13, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. As a homework assignment, if there was ever a homework assignment that we needed, we probably just need to look at our lives and assess to see if people around us can recognize the fact that we, not only have we been with Jesus, but that we are with Jesus. If there ever was a time for us to do some self-examination and reflection, I believe this is the season for us to do just that. And so we see these were ordinary men serving an extraordinary God, and they did that, and the enemy got upset with them again, and here we go. They're about to put them, uh, lock them up, and do whatever they want to do to them. And so you need to know that God can use you in whatever state you're currently in if you're just willing to surrender and say, God, I'm yours. Even if you are a believer, you might be in a situation where you have not surrendered to the power and the promise of God in that particular area. And this is the moment where you can just say, God, I surrender. I'm gonna trust in you to get me out of this mess. 
and knowing that even in that, God has not made you an outcast. He's not cast you away. He's not cast you to the side. He's not left you, nor has he forsaken you. He's still rocking with you. He's still on your team. He still wants to hold your hand. He still wants to love you. He still wants to care for you. He still wants to wrap you in his loving arms for all of eternity and say, I'm your daddy. I'll never let you go. You belong to me. And so if you didn't go to college or seminary, God still wants to use you. If you don't have a lot of money, God can still, he still wants to use you. If you didn't get to sit at the cool table at school, God can still use you and he still desires to use you. If you had a child when you were young, God can and still wants to use you. If you have a marriage that has ended up in divorce, God can and still wants to use you. If you have a physical challenge in your health, God can and still wants to use you. If you don't understand church folk or church language I don't either God can and still wants to use you because the best ability is availability and so opposition my, my grandson preaching with me today I don't need nobody else in here in the room today here we go opposition and obedience they charged them to not speak or preach in the name of Jesus they told him around later, later part of this, around verse 22 and in that area, they told him, I want you to say nothing in Jesus' name. And they said, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. We ain't going to listen to that. We're going to keep doing what we called us to do. So out of that act of obedience, listen to what happened. Verse 23, when they were arrested, they went, is this good to y'all? It's good so far? Okay. So when they were released, and we almost done, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices to, together to God. When they were released, couldn't find no fault in them. So they released them. And then they went to their friends, friends of the faith. You don't just need faithful friends, you need friends of the faith. Well, what's the difference, Pastor? Faithful friends, they will pet you in your mess. Because they just want to be faithful to the friendship. They say, oh, okay, well, you can go over there and you can go ahead and just, just lay up with that guy. It don't matter, girl, you deserve it. Get, get, get your stress out. Just do whatever you need to do. Just go ahead on and cheat on that test. Just go ahead. It don't matter. Just go ahead and do that. It don't matter. It don't matter. You want to live that type of lifestyle? You want to do it? Just go ahead on. Because I, I, I just love you. I just don't want to ever lose your relationship. I just don't want to ever not be without you. So that's what a faithful friend is. But a friend of the faith will say opposite of that. I don't care if you stick with me or not. Because long as I got King Jesus, I don't need nobody else. However, I don't find that to be all the way true, but I understand the concept about that. Because I need my wife. I need my baby there. That's my help me. That's what she gave to me. So I got King Jesus, but I got that good gift because of King Jesus. So I need good friends like Pastor Josh that will encourage me when I'm wrong or challenge me in my walk or challenge me in my leadership and things of that nature. I need people to look at me and say, hey, uh, that don't look right or smell right on you. What's going on in your life? I need a friend of the faith that can give me God's promises and speak to my spirit, man, and give me life and life more abundantly when I'm in a dark place or a dark season. I need you. So it said, when they released, they went to their friends. I know who got my back. I know who ride with me. I know who, who my strength. I know where I can get it from. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When the last time you've been in a prayer meeting and something shook? Last time you've been in a prayer meeting, something shook. If it's not the physical place shaking, your spirit man should be shaking. 
God should be shaking some stuff out to get out of you because he wants to pour more of himself in you. We need more prayer shaking in the church. So I don't know if this still happens today, but I grew up <laughs> in a time in a family, right? They go to their friends where if you mess with one, you got to mess with all of us. You just ain't going to come for me and you ain't going to deal with everybody else that you're rolling with. And so we may have had some issues as a family. I may not be liking you at this moment. I may not have called you in years, but I tell you, if there's an outside threat, you best believe we're going to come together and we taking the enemy out. We saw this play out with Americans when 9-11 happened, right? You see this in a football game or a basketball game where one of their teammates then got hit wrongly or something like that. You see everybody come, the referees in place throwing flags up in the air and doing all that type of stuff. You see everybody coming to their rescue. And Lord knows if you ever say anything about Beyonce, the Bayhive is coming for you. <laughs> Again, the world puts into practice Biblical principles and values and strategies better than those that have the word of life with them every single day. And this is what Dr. Lee was trying to treat, teach those students in drumline, the importance, the essence of being one, to being team. And that's all Pastor Josh and I are trying to do, my brothers and sisters. We're trying to communicate to you that oneness does not solely apply to our individual churches but it more so importantly applies to the body of Christ at large. We truly do it better when we do it together. And now we're back at our starting point, main text, verse 32 through 35. There's two quick observations that I wanna make that we can take with us. And the first observation about being one in Christ is simply this, his power in our oneness, and the second thing is his purpose in our oneness. His power in our oneness. Verse 33, and with great power is found in verse 32 and 33, but I'll read verse 33. Let me go back. Sorry, 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. One heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own. And they had everything in common. They had their struggles. They had strife. They had trials. They had triumphs. They had victories, successes. They had everything in common. It was all in one big family. Everything was together. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It was the full number of those who believed, not some of the church, not half of the church. It was the entire church. All of the church were operating in their belief. And that's why it's good to have friends of the faith, because there's times when all of us are not collectively operating on all belief cylinders. You need somebody to pray with. You need somebody to call and encourage you. You need somebody so we can be the full number of saints who are operating in the full power of God. Have you ever driven a car and one of them pistons that went out or one of them cylinders that went out, your head gasket and blew? You might be able to drive that car, but it's not operating on full power. And so that's how we have to see ourselves sometimes in the church. Everybody that comes through these doors are not operating on full belief power. And so it's our, it's our, uh, uh, it's our uh, purpose. It's our design that when we come together and we begin to sing songs of worship, we should be not only singing praises over each other, but I might need to turn to you and I need to start singing a praise into you. Because we need to be operating on full power. 
And so we are united by the power that comes from the Spirit of God. And we have common interests, and that common interest is to preach his love and to display his love in all that we say and do. And this is what's going to lead others into the presence of Jesus Christ. Uh, I heard one theologian say it this way, the Christian life in all its aspects, whether it's intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the Spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. So in other words, if we're not operating the power and they're not seeing life in us, then really we are not a true body of believers and we're not a true congregation at all. And that's why he comes to give us his spirit. And so we need lively believers. You know, we shouldn't be lively when we at the football game. We shouldn't be lively when your team is up 20 points or something like that. We should be, shouldn't be lively when your favorite artist is at the Coco Booth Amphitheater and they getting down up there. We should be lively because Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to save us and we operate out of his power. And if death couldn't hold him down, neither can this situation hold me down either. He has made us alive with him. At one time, Ephesians tells us we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but the surpassing love that he had with us, he made us alive with Christ Jesus. Touch yourself and ask yourself, am I alive? I told you I was interactive. I, obviously, there's only one person that is alive here today. And this is why the word of God needs to be preached. And so the second thing is his purpose in our oneness. Verse 34, 35. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought them the proceeds which was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed as any had need. Now, what I want to show you here is that his purpose in our oneness is not explicitly stated here in this verse, in these verses. But if you go back to Acts 1.8, where he says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will recognize that this purpose that the Holy Spirit came upon us was to make us witnesses of him in the earth. And we see a witnessing power displayed through the care, the love, and generosity that was being shown to one another in the body of Christ in this moment. So as they, were, as they were living out the one, another, one another's of scripture, the glory of the Lord was being put on display. And out of that glory that was being put on display, it was drawing others into the faith community. Others who were in darkness were coming into light. Others who were dead were now becoming spiritually alive. And the purpose by which he also gives us his power is to conform us more into his image and his likeness. So our actions, our thoughts, our deeds, all of those things should reflect the grace of God in our lives. So one person said it this way, one commentator said, they were unanimous in their faith of Christ and being all joined to the Lord, they were joined to one another in holy love. This was the blessed fruit of Christ's dying precept to his disciples, to love one another and his dying prayer for them, that they all might be one. The purpose by which he has called us is to be one, 
just as he was one with the Father, he wants us to be one just like him as he stated in John 17. So do we have the same focus? Do we have the same posture in our families, in our churches, in our communities? Are we operating out of the witnessing power of Christ? Because that was glory that was being put on display when we can all care for one another, regardless of your situation or circumstance, regardless of where you are on, in your tax bracket, regardless of where you are in your educational system. It doesn't matter. We are all one together in Christ. If you got Christ, I got your back. If you got bills, then somehow, some way, we're going to figure this thing out. Back in the day, you used to have rent parties. If you ain't had your rent, you threw a party to make sure we could collect enough money for you to have your rent. We will figure out a way to make sure everybody had needs because Scripture says it was not a needy person among them. And out of that, we see the beauty of God. So Jesus would be generous for us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We see through the community there that Jesus will become a servant for us. He emptied himself for our sake, and he was obeying the Father to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see through this community a picture of Jesus being the one who supplies all of our needs according to the, his glorious riches that we find in him. We also see the caretaking nature of Jesus put on display through this community. So as Peter tells us that we are able to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. Jesus would also show us through a picture of the early church and how they were caring for each other that no greater love is this than a man will lay down his life for his friend. And that's the power by which we should operate out of. I still only got one. We can take, we can take, we can take Durham together. In other words, I said all that to say this is a picture of how love should look within our church. And if the world is going to become one of us, then we have to learn how to love as Christ has loved us. Would you pray with me? This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com. Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.